0: As Jim comes to read the scripture, what you're going to see and hear are words that come to some extent out of anguish and yet come out of a miracle of God touching a life in a way that is truly miraculous. See if you can find that in this song of Hannah as she celebrates birth. By the way, Hannah was one of my grandmother's names. Hannah prayed and said... My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor And makes rich, he brings low, he also exalts, he raises up the poor from the dust, he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversaries shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. (coughs) Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. And now as we go to the gospel, see these two scriptures working parenthetically to surround what Carrie's going to talk about is now we hear the story of another woman, barren, miraculously celebrating now. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me And took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. This is God's word.
1: Ago, I had the pleasure of being a small group discussion leader at Indianola Senior High Camp. We had about 48 campers ranging from ages 14 to 18 years old. One day, while sitting at a table with a group of 19s for lunch, I asked each youth what their names were. One girl stated their name was Hannah. I said, that's so cool. Did you know that there's a woman in the Bible named Hannah? To which she replied, Yeah. while giving me a little smirk as if to say, I haven't heard that a thousand times. So I asked her if she knew the story of Hannah and she said, nope. Then without being able to stop myself, I kind of geeked out, as my classmates would say. I became really excited and asked her if she would like to hear the story because I would be giving a sermon on Hannah in a few weeks so I'd really gotten to know how amazing this woman was. I was completely surprised when Hannah... Followed quickly by eight other yeses. And so I began. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, there lived a man named Elkanah. Elkanah had a wife named Hannah. They were a very devout couple and honored God all the time. They loved each other, but sadly, Hannah couldn't have children. So Elkanah married another woman named Panina. As was the custom in their land, if your wife could not have children. Panina did have children. And every year, Elkanah would take his wives and his children to Shiloh to the temple where he would offer sacrifices to the Lord. On their way, Panina would make fun of Hannah and torment her because she could not have children. She would rub it in Hannah's face that Elkanah would give her more to sacrifice. And this would upset Hannah. Elkanah felt bad about this and wanted Hannah to be happy, even if they never had children together. One time, Panina was being her usual mean self and tormenting Hannah. Finally, she had had enough. She got up and went to present herself to the Lord in the temple. As she entered the temple to pray, there was a priest named Eli sitting off to the side by the doorpost. He watched as she cried and prayed. She prayed that God would remember her in her pain and promised that if God remembered her and if she had a boy, she would give that boy to the Lord for his entire life. The whole time she was praying, she didn't say a word out loud. And Eli, who was watching her, thought she was drunk. He got up and went over to her and accused her of being drunk in the temple and told her she needed to sober up. She said, But I'm not drunk. I'm just sad, and I was praying to God and giving all my worries and heartache to God. I'm not that kind of woman, to which Eli responded by blessing her prayers and sending her off in peace. After leaving the temple, she went home to El- with Elkanah and Penina, And surprisingly, a little while later, she became pregnant with a little boy. When he was born, she named him Samuel. Shortly after that, Elkanah was going to return to the temple for his annual trip, to keep his promise, but when he asked Hannah if she would go with him, she said no, not until she would wean Samuel. Elkanah agreed with her and went on his way. When Samuel was three, Hannah took him to Eli to give Samuel to the Lord to be raised as a priest. When Hannah arrived, she had to remind Eli that she was the woman that he had spoken to three years earlier. She then made a sacrifice to the Lord and left her son there with Eli. Each year, she would return with a special robe for Samuel to wear. And each year, Eli would bless Elkanah and Hannah, and they ended up having three more sons and two daughters. When I finished telling this this story to the youth, we sat for a few moments in silence, no one moving. Then Hannah, my camper, said, thank you for telling her about the woman she was named after. She and I had a longer talk after that about what the story meant for her and how this woman would change the lives of many people in the future. But for, t- for us today, I want to focus on the faith Hannah had and the miracle that came from that faith. At first glance, I really thought the miracle of the story was about the fact that Hannah had been barren and then she had a child. <coughs> As I read the story over and over again, I started to notice little things. For example, why did God answer Hannah's prayer? What was it about Hannah that would make God want to bless her specifically? I slowed my reading down and allowed myself to just imagine what she was going through that had led her to her prayer. Hannah endured relentless torment from other women or from this woman I can understand how that would feel. I've had women give me a hard time because I've been married for 12 years and I haven't had any kids. But there's something more than that. It must have been hard for her to see her husband have children with another woman and know that she was the problem. She could have turned away from God. She could have gotten angry and she could have become hateful. But she didn't. Instead she turned to God and prayed with all her heart and gave all of her pain and anguish to God. In her prayer, what at first seemed like an ultimatum, give me me the child I want, and in return I'll give it back to you, was more of a promise to continue trusting God no matter what. That promise was, take my anguish and pain, please, and if you give me a child because you want to, I will make sure that that child grows up knowing who you are. I also noticed something about God in that story that I hadn't seen before. The scripture we read today in Hannah's song to God, in which she says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord. No one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Hannah's God was someone that she could turn to when she was hurt, doubting herself, feeling sad, and when she was rejoicing and happy. This God she believed in could give her strength, should she ever have to, if she should never have children, to continue enduring the ridicule from Panina. This God listens to her, loves her, takes her pain away, and gives her what she most wanted. But also more than she had ever asked for. The foundation of her life was made from these beliefs in her God. Her God was a God she could believe in, trust, and could feel the presence in her life. Not only did I notice these things about Hannah and God, there was one more surprising thing Eli, a priest. I have this preconceived idea that if you're a priest or a pastor, that you should be able to tell when somebody's praying. Um, (laughs) But my question is, why did Eli assume that Hannah was drunk? Not sick, not crazy, but drunk. He didn't think she was praying. He thought she was acting inappropriately in the temple. I don't know about you, but if I was praying in the sanctuary and I don't know, say, Pastor Brad walked up to me and accused me of being drunk, I might think something was a tad bit off with him. Just a little. Eli was a priest and should have known that Hannah was praying just by looking at her. But Eli was no longer in sync with God. Eli was wrapped up in the benefits of being a priest, focusing more on how much of an offering he would be getting or the status of his position in the community, And he was allowing some things to slide, like turning a blind eye to how his sons were abusing the power of their positions. When he should have been focusing on God and how the spiritual lives around him were going. As I was reading this story again for about the 20th time, I started to get this deja vu feeling, and not because I'd read it 20 times. Um, I heard this story somewhere else in the Bible. Parts of the story reminded me of the story of Sarah and Abraham. The whole barren woman having a child was there. <coughs> but there was something more to it than that. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, so I decided to investigate. I remembered that there were other women that were barren in, this, in the Bible, and I thought of Elizabeth, who was barren and older, much like Sarah. And I thought their stories were really close and would probably match up more. But as I read the story, I realized that Elizabeth was a married was married to Zechariah, a priest. An angel had told him that Elizabeth would become pregnant, and Zechariah didn't believe her, believed the angel, and because of his disbelief, he would remain silent until the birth of his child. Elizabeth, on the other hand, believed the news and was full of faith and joy. This child they were to have would not be just any child. This child would become a prophet, John the Baptist, and that he would pave the way for Jesus. Okay, so what are the similarities here? We have a woman that has faith in God, trusts God no matter what. We have a priest that doesn't know or doesn't, isn't able to hear God around him. And we have a child that is raised according to God's will and will become a key player in the life of the Jews and the Israelites. Why would this story be in the Bible twice? What is so important here? What are we supposed to understand? Because of these two women are so faithful, their faith brings hope to these men that have in some way lost their faith in God and are in a sense just kind of going through the motions. Little did Eli know that when he was blessing Hannah that he was about to be changed for life. Because of his role in blessing Hannah, she gave birth to a little boy That would later hear God and answer, "Here I am, Lord," and then be the one to anoint King David to the throne, because he anoints King David, to the the line of Jesus is drawn out, and it's kind of a domino effect of how things happen after that. These two men, Eli and Zachariah, were blind to God for some reason. They had drifted away, but because of faith and hope that Hannah and Elizabeth had in God, they would see a miracle. Their eyes would be opened to the wonders of God's love and the grace God has to share with us. Eli was unable to hear God speaking to him. But through the faith of Hannah and Samuel, Eli was able to experience the wonder of God again. And Zechariah, who should have believed immediately what the angel was telling him, lost his voice. A priest needs to be able to speak and to evangelize to those around him. And without that ability, their work is much harder. As I've been asked many times in this past year, so what does this all mean for us? How are Hannah and Elizabeth relevant to us right now? In this day and age, if we can't have a child, we don't need to pray. We can just go to a doctor, and the doctor can perform a little science, and then we can get pregnant, right? right. But that isn't what the story is about. Sure, there's a baby that no one is expecting... But the heart of the matter is that Elizabeth and Hannah had hope. Their hope was placed in God's hands. They turned to God when they were in their darkest moments, and they trusted God. But what is that hope? These women were torn in two. On the one hand, society is telling them that they are useless women because they cannot provide children for their husbands. But on the other hand, they cling to the knowledge that there is something more for them than how many kids they have. They know that God will remember them and will take care of them. While they are unloading their fear and pain on God, someone else was close by experiencing the transforming power of their hope. This kind of hope reminds me of a time when I was struggling with my own self-image. I was 21 at the time and working at Lacey F. Camp and Retreat Center as a program staff. It was the week of night owl camp where we stay up later and later every night until the last night when we stay up all night long and we hike up to the cross and we watch the sunrise. There was, on this particular hike, there was a young girl that was refusing to hike to the cross. Her fear was that people would make fun of her because she would trail behind and not be able to keep up with the group because of her weight. (coughs) I could totally relate to that. I also did not want to do things because I was a little heavier than others at the time. But I told her that I would walk with her and that no one would notice at all. As we began this long trek up the side of the mountain, she and I got into a deep discussion about our self-image. I had always thought that I was unlovable because of my weight. I thought that if I could just change everything about me, that people would love me more. And yet, at the same time, I knew that God loved me exactly the way I was. I knew that God loved everyone the same way. I told her the same thing, that it never matters to God what our clothing size was, just the size of our hearts. I'm kind of summarizing the conversation here because I don't really remember every word that I said. And this hike was about 45 minutes long, so it was a very long conversation. Um, (coughs) But a few years after that conversation, I got a call from her thanking me for the conversation that we'd had. Then about five years ago, I received a call from Patrick Scriven. He's a guy that works in the conference office with youth, um, helping them to develop a retreat called Convo. He asked if he could use this story at the retreat as an example. I was completely surprised that he even knew about it because I'd never told him what happened. It turns out that she had been telling people about this conversation, And how what I had said changed the way she looked at life and had strengthened her faith. Who knew? I was so surprised, but I guess what I learned from God, or learned about it, is that God can use each of us to help others grow deeper in our faith, but only if we are open to those possibilities. This past week, we've been hosting our very own vacation Bible school, and each day I had the joy of leading the, and this is hard for me to say, the blue, Wild Blue Bible Adventures. It's a tongue twister. Anyway, the station in which I got to help the kids act out the Bible stories. Over the week, I've chanted many, many, many times with our kids, no matter what, trust God. And that is exactly what these women did. And that is exactly what we should be doing. Hannah and Elizabeth are perfect examples of how trusting God can help you work through the difficult times in our lives. We all have times when we struggle or worry, but we can turn to the same God that Hannah turned to. Our God loves us. Our God listens to our deepest wants and desires. Our God uses us to bring hope and faith to those around us. Sometimes our faith seems really small, but to the person sitting right next to you, your faith is so strong and big and uncontainable. God uses that to help us grow in our own faith. God uses our hope to bring miraculous moments to other people. Are we open to seeing those miracles? When you see someone else's faith, are you open to the power of it? Are you willing to allow that faith to change you, to transform you? It can be scary and new, but worth the chance of experiencing some joy. But what does that look like to be open It means trying something new, like praying for somebody out loud or telling somebody what's going on in your life and asking them to pray for you. It could be as simple as or as difficult as inviting somebody to come to church with you on Sunday morning or to come to a barbecue at the church. It could also be calling someone or allowing somebody to teach you their way of worship. Eli and Zechariah were slow to open themselves up to the miracles of their lives. But when they did, they too felt the love of God that God had for them. I have a challenge for you. If you're willing to do this challenge, if you're willing to open yourselves up and allow God to transform you, I want you to try in the next couple weeks praying for somebody right there, right then. If you see somebody hurting, ask them if you can pray. And, Or if you are hurting yourself, call somebody up and say, hey, I really need you to pray for me. Can you do that? If you're willing to accept a challenge like that or to invite somebody to church, not next week because we have something. well Or next week because it would be great to hear Melody. Um, if you're willing to accept that challenge, I want you to try something. You have to kind of move. So get your arms up. Um, <clears throat> shake them out a little bit. So a few weeks ago at a camp, I taught some kids this thing. It's called Challenge Accepted, and you have to do a motion. Challenge Accepted, and (laughs) what you do, if you agree to this challenge, to praying for somebody or asking somebody to pray for you or bringing somebody, what you'll say, on the count of three, you'll say, Challenge Accepted, and as loud as you possibly can. Are you ready? One, two, three. Challenge Accepted. Amen.